Welcome to the Short Rod Show. You're talking with Ben today. Have a little bit of a special episode lined up for you guys. We're actually on our way traveling to the St. Paul Ice Fishing Show uh, up in St. Paul, Minnesota. If you guys haven't heard of that show, it's the biggest industry ice fishing show there is. Uh, really excited to be a part of that this year and get you guys some content from that show. So Brett's a little bit tied up right now, so we're going to be giving you some classic ep- uh, episode action today. Uh, actually, one of our favorite interviews with Iowa DNR um, fishing biologist, Tyler Stubbs. And it's a great episode from December 27th, 2020. And for you guys that didn't catch it back then, he throws out some gems of urban fishing. Uh, how to uh, set up an urban fishing program, how we do it here in Iowa. Uh, of course, Iowa has some of the best urban fishing opportunities around of any state. Uh, across the country so really exciting episode for you guys it'll be a little bit of a repeat we hope you enjoy it and like i said we'll get get back at you with some new content next week after visiting the saint paul ice fishing show man we're getting fired up to get on ice Uh, i know some of you guys have been out there i've seen some posts from upper red lake uh, around northern wisconsin northern minnesota guys getting on the ice and catching catching some cool fish so we'll get back at you with some ice fishing content coming up next week so hope you guys enjoy the episode all right we'll catch you next time on the short rod show welcome to the short rod show you're talking with ben and you got brett Thanks for joining us, everybody. We got a very special episode today. I'm sure all of you are going to enjoy. What are we talking about, Brett? Uh, this week, um, we got a hold of Tyler Stubbs. He is the Iowa DNR urban fisheries biologist. So cool. I think that urban that urban portion is kind of a unique deal, and um, he'll have some pretty uh, interesting things to say about just fisheries within town. Um, there's definitely some unique challenges that they run into versus, you know, lakes and ponds that are out in the backwoods or, you know, five, 10, 20 miles out from civilization. Um, yeah, he does a lot of interaction with people more than wildlife. So yeah, he's got an interesting job. Absolutely. And I think that that interview was pretty awesome. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. So yeah, this is pre-recorded. Yep. Uh, coming up after the break here will be a pre-recorded deal we did a couple months or a month ago uh, with Tyler. Um, just gives us an opportunity uh, during Christmas and all that's kind of difficult for us to get together and uh, put together a podcast. So I think uh, here after the break, I think you got uh, a pretty good episode coming. That'll be great. And if you guys are are listening close, there's a lot of good gems in this interview that you oh, can't man. you can't hear those anywhere so else. It's excited. Was, you know, I hear a lot of other podcasts where they where they have people that they're interviewing, and it's just a it's just a question and answer thing. And I'm like. You know, it's interesting. They come with, they have some interesting answers, but there's not really any back and forth. There's no conversation. Um, uh, unfortunately, this one ended up being a question and answer kind of thing also, but that's just <laughs> which, because Tyler kept firing out such gems. I didn't know where to interject. I didn't want to slow him down, or I just wanted him to keep on that thought that it just, yeah. And yeah. then as he was talking, I just kept racking my mind. I'm like, oh, what about this? What about that? What yep. about that? And it just, yeah. You can tell Tyler's pretty passionate about what he does. And yeah. that's what makes it a really great interview. And we're really excited to to bring this to you guys. Um, we want to do more of this coming up. Yep. I think it's pretty cool to to have some different opinions and, and views on the podcast. And Tyler's a really great guy. Hopefully we'll get out on the water with him this year. And that's all coming up next on 
the short rod show ben where have you been we've got a short rod show episode to drop here in a half an hour ah shoot i've been outside blowing snow in my driveway for the last hour Jeez, give me a break brett man you just gotta hire that out i don't know like how would i find someone that could do it i don't know i just look up on google yeah that could work but how do i know they're any good all i know is that the best companies use evergrow marketing to show up on google yeah that's a good point I know Evergrow Marketing is a digital marketing agency that provides straightforward solutions for local service businesses. Yeah, but what does that mean? Well, Brett, it means if your business relies on leads and inquiries from your surrounding area, they'll take care of your website, make sure you're showing up on search engines like Google, and make your phone ring with new business. They've worked with landscaping and lawn care companies, roofing contractors, car dealers, hospitals, banks and credit unions, and more. If you own or work for a business that could use a little help, With the digital side of your marketing, check them out over at evergrowmarketing.com. Also, tell them that Ben and Brett over at the Short Rod Show sent you, and they'll knock 10% off your first bill. You know, Brett, I was poking around on Facebook the other day, and I could just not find the Short Rod Show. What's the deal? Oh, you just got to punch us in on Google. What do you mean? We show up on Google already? Oh, yeah. The Evergrow team hooked us up. Holy cow. That's awesome. Yeah. Good deal. I'll try that now. Yeah, right. You just punch in Short Rod Show. And we'll come up on our website, shortrodshow.com. It'll come up on Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Awesome. So people can find us all over now. Yeah, all over the internet. That's great. We're also on Instagram, too. I've been trying to keep up with that. Posting some cool pictures. When we're out on the ice, you can check us out there, too. Yeah, sweet updates. Awesome. Check us out, guys. All right, guys, here on the Short Rod Show, we have a very special guest we're speaking with today. Um, His name is Tyler Stubbs. He's with the Iowa DNR, and he's a community fishing biologist. Did I say that right, Tyler? Yeah, yep, said it perfect. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for joining us here. We're really, like I said, really excited to have you on. Um, You just want to start by introducing yourself and just tell us a little bit about what you do with the Iowa DNR. Yeah, yeah, no problem. And th- I really appreciate the opportunity to, to be on your podcast and uh, to introduce myself to your followers and listeners. Um, the Community Fishing Program started in uh, 2016, really with my hire, essentially. It was uh, it's a new program, which is something, uh, you know, from a DNR standpoint, new programs are not something we had, had really invested in and done. And uh, the whole thing is to work with cities on providing good quality fishing opportunities. Uh, we realized back in, I want to say 2012, somewhere in there, that our fishing license holders had actually kind of swapped from the majority of them being, uh, you know, rural Iowans uh, and the minority being urban Iowans. Hmm. And we kind of swapped. And the majority of our license holders actually live uh, within some of our larger cities and suburbs now. And so realizing that uh, we hadn't spent a ton of time on focusing on fishing resources near where the majority of our people live, uh, we took that opportunity to start doing that. So uh, it's been a good program. Uh, I think we, geez, the, the amount of ponds being built in the last few years is is really crazy. I think we've got 23 new ones coming on that Ooh. will be ready to stock. Yeah. <laughs> we like hearing that. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, it's been averaging in, in the teens each year, um, and there's been a few more. The majority of, of them are usually in the Des Moines area, but uh, we've got some renovations going on in uh, Davenport and and Asbury up by, by Dubuque, Fort Dodge. Uh, so there's there's a variety of places across the state where 
um, where we're helping cities out um, with, you know, figuring out how to build some of these to provide a sustainable fishery. Sweet. Yeah. So Tyler, you mentioned uh, that they started this program with your hire. Uh, I guess, Kendo, what, what led you down the career path of community fisheries biologist or kind of uh, where are you from and that sort of deal? Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a great question. Uh, I'm originally from Gallery, Iowa, which oh. is mm-hmm. it's just south of Fort Dodge. Yep. And uh, as far as education-wise, I went to school at Iowa Central Community College and then uh, finished up my bachelor's at South Dakota State in wildlife fisheries and then um, went down to Mississippi State for my master's. Ooh, nice. That, uh, and so between those times, had a few you know internships with with South Dakota Game Fishing Parks and the Iowa DNR, uh, the county Webster County Conservation Board, and uh, finished up my master's at Mississippi State and ended up staying there as a district biologist in Northeast Mississippi out of Tupelo, mm. uh, mm. Birth, the, the birthplace of Elvis Presley. You may have heard of it. Uh, but <laughs> That's cool. It was there a little over five years uh, before making the move uh, back up here to Iowa. And it's really interesting in that I think when I was when I was doing my bachelor's, uh, I don't know if urban fishing programs were that really just wasn't a thing. Uh, there's a few cities like St. Louis, Chicago, uh, Kansas City. They had urban programs, Houston, Dallas, but it really wasn't a you know something that you know Iowa having an urban program that was not really on my radar at all uh that this would be the the career path i'd go down and so being just a you know the the general fisheries biologist in mississippi where i had a district of 16 counties and and various water bodies uh to coming up here and working mainly with people uh, which is what i really like to do uh has been been quite a change and so the urban arena or or community arena we kind of changed the word the community a couple of years ago, uh, just because urban doesn't really resonate with a lot of the folks we work with. Yep. Um, you know, it, it might work in Des Moines, but, you know, you start getting out to Ankeny, Grimes, Bondurant, you know, they don't consider themselves, you know, quote unquote urban. And sure. uh, so we, we had changed the name to community. And um, yeah, it's it's been awesome. I like working with a lot of people. I like the communication aspect. I like the, uh, you know, trying to get other people on board to promote fishing. And, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, I brought up some of those projects that are going on where all these ponds are being built. You know, the Iowa DNR, we're not going to be purchasing property in downtown Ankeny or downtown Des Moines, you know, or any of these suburbs, you know, in residential areas. That's that's not something we're going to do. And we haven't built new lakes in a long time. Uh, but the cities are, are doing that. Uh, they've got ponds right where people live, which is exactly what we wanted. And uh, we're just helping them with that process to make, you know, they're built for stormwater first and foremost. But uh, we can piggyback off that and make it a recreational. So is there is there some criteria that they got to meet uh, as a stormwater collection pond? Because, um, I mean, there's a ton of them being built, um, but not necessarily all of them probably falling within your program, are they? No, so there's a there's a couple things that are are the biggest stickler is they've got to be public or the public has to have the ability to access them. So most of the time, you know, it's got to be publicly owned or city owned. 
Um, the other thing is we don't typically do much with anything less than about half an acre, mm. um, which just can't really sustain a, a population of fish very well uh, in some of these urban areas with a, a size less than that. As far as, you know, we've got some guidelines uh, on how we would like to see some of these built, yeah. you know, but ultimately it's not up to us. Uh, it's up to the city and, and, uh, and that's been part of the job too, is promoting, Hey, you know, if you added a few more feet here or change the slope to this, you know, you would potentially have a much better stormwater basin for, yep. for, fishing. and so that's what a lot of it has been. Uh, but if it's, if it's public and, and, and we can think we can provide a good sustainable fish population in it, uh, it's a go. Um, so fisheries management really is a, a twofold definition. And so there's provide the opportunity to fish, which is what the cities are doing in the counties to some extent, based, you know, depending on where they have locations at Polk County Conservation, for instance, has multiple areas here in the metro. Um, and then we come in and provide the opportunity to catch fish yep. uh, by partnering them with the provide the actual fish itself. So, uh, it's a it's a good partnership. It's a good bond having a partnership between the cities all across the state and the DNR fisheries is not something we've we've had before, and that's something we're trying to continue to grow. Yep. So you mentioned they got to be public. Um, as just somebody, you know, just being a resident of town, uh, how do you identify which ones are public and which ones can I, you know, access and fish? <clears throat> yeah. So we've done the work for you. Um, all across the state, we're still working on it, but in the majority of the areas, we've done the work for you. On the Iowa DNR website, there's the Fish Local page. So it's www.iowadnr.gov slash fish local. And on there is a Google map um, with ponds on it that we know have a fish population, that we know are publicly owned. Uh, you can, since it's a Google map, you can click on it, get directions to it on your mobile device. Yeah. That, that is the most handiest thing is, uh, yeah, yeah. that was a big deal. We'd never, uh, most of our maps are all through a GIS through type Esri. of yep. fish atlas and hunting atlas. So this is the first one that's, that was Google based. Um, I'm in the process of adding in some more as we work with more communities. I've added in, um, you know, what fish species we know are there. Um, I'm, going through checking to make sure i've got the ice fishing correct as some cities don't allow ice fishing yeah some do. so you led right into my next yeah. question was why is Brett that? was all pumped up about yeah. that because that's that's Cause been kind of crazy there's a pile of them over in altoona and it annoys me that it says directly right on there no ice fishing yeah yeah so those are our city code um and it took me by surprise too i, I was unaware and how that kind of came about is i had a group of anglers contact me um and say hey you know, it'd be really nice if you could put on this map uh, where I can and can't ice fish. Hmm. And I, I wasn't aware that you couldn't. Uh, and so I started reaching out to some of the cities and, and realized that there was some city code in place that, hmm. that prohibited ice fishing. A lot of it's a liability risk or, okay. or the liability risk. Um, and uh, we've been able to, working with the cities and, and getting that relationship going, you know, cities of Waukee, cities of Norwalk have now started allowing ice fishing. Nice. on their pond um you've got ankeny and bondurant johnston was a new one as well uh you can do city des moines everywhere except for gray's lake uh so there's there's plenty of opportunities for ice fishing here in the metro but yeah. uh yeah, yep. sometimes we're, 
still trying to work on them. I'm still reaching out to cities on uh, getting their. Well, that's good because I mean, for from our perspective, I mean, you know, that's our bread and butter is, is ice fishing. But just having that opportunity to get out on a local pond in your city, whether that's in Ankeny, Altoona, yep. Mondrant, wherever, um, you know, if guys are listening in. This would be the time to reach out to those cities and say, hey, this is important to us, you know, like Altoona, for instance. Why do we have this code? Let's maybe look at changing that. You know, here's all these other cities that have done it successfully, and we want to be more like them and get some more fishing opportunities. So maybe our listeners can help open up a few more ponds yeah, to that. That'd be sweet. Some ice fishing action. So that's cool. Yeah. Ice fishing's a, you know, it's a winter opportunity that if we can market, the cities can market. Um, you know, is something that you can do within the city limit there. So um, it's just a, like I said, a lot of it's older city code um, hmm. that um, has been there a long time. And, and some of it, you know, some of it, um, like in Waukee's instance, they just didn't, they didn't have anything written because they didn't have any ponds up until a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And so it provided the opportunity there to, to um, get ice fishing allowed. So it's something we're working with the communities on to, to at least get a, a straight yes or no on it and uh, hopefully keep people out of trouble. Cool. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's really what we preach to is, is ice safety and, and kind of knowing what you're doing. And if you don't know what you're doing, hopefully they're listening to our, I mean, our podcast a little bit. Usually what I do is I'll just go there and wait for somebody to yell at me anyways. Yep. Uh, (laughs) That's how I identify which ponds to go to is, is can I get there through a bike path? And if I can, I'll go go. on it. Regardless, until someone tells me to not be on it. Altoona does a good job on on most of theirs, from what I remember of, of mm-hmm. having some. Signage. Um, some of the other cities have have some signage on there too to to at least let you know, which yep. is nice. Yep, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So if you guys like what Tyler was saying on the fish local page, it's really cool. I mean, that's this is something that I don't know if a lot of people realize the resource we have in the Iowa DNR and how great a job they do in highlighting places to fish, yep. making it easier for people to get out and fish, you know, just having this map you can click on and showing all the urban ponds you can fish is yep. pretty, pretty amazing. And not only, you know, having the places to fish, but there's seriously some quality fish to be caught out there. Like there is, I mean, yep. you can go catch, I'd be disappointed most of the time if I don't catch at least a four pound bass while I'm out there fishing or, I mean, I know there's a handful of ponds here in Ankeny that I can get a nine-inch bluegill. So, yep. I mean, some seriously impressive uh, opportunity out there. Uh, speaking of fish, though, a little bit, how do you guys determine what mix of fish that you're going to put into a pond? Because I know there's some ponds that get, you know, like your standard bass, bluegill, catfish. But then there's also another one. Uh, and then if you could go into a little bit of why you guys do the perch bass combination because i think that's interesting and i like that uh combination a lot it provides a lot of a lot of fun fishing um yeah if you have anything any thoughts on that yeah i don't want to give away all my perch secret spots you know but (laughs) we don't have to talk spots yeah we don't have to talk about they're out there (laughs) i guess if you ask you know i'll I'll mention it but uh no the the bass bluegill catfish thing that's something that that's been kind of the tried and true combination uh you know developed in the in the South in the forties at Auburn university as mm-hmm. uh, being the simplest and the best combination for small ponds, uh, to provide a, a, essentially the goal is to provide a balanced fish population. And so it's also about the easiest thing to manage. You know, you've got your predator, 
you've got your prey base and then the catfish is in there as kind of a, a mix and a bonus species. Um, and so that's the easiest thing for us to do. It's, uh, they're easy fish to identify by anglers. Um, so one of the biggest things in these, in, in these, uh, you know, the suburbs and the urban areas is a lot of our anglers are, are novice. Um, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the bulk of our fishing license sales even are, are folks that, that don't buy a license every year. Um, and huh. we've got a lot of beginners. And so they're easy to fish to identify. They're easy fish to catch. And so it's just a, a good combination for us. Well, so how do all these crappies get in there? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did listen to your podcast on that. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure how they all get in there. Uh, but uh, th- they're definitely something we we struggle with. Uh, it's a yep. it's a profit species for us. And as you know, fishing in Ankeny, there's a few ponds that uh, – you know, good luck seeing a crappie over six inches. Yep. yep. And it's going to be paper thin. Yeah. And those crappies are just so sporadic on how they reproduce. And so we may have a few years there where they don't reproduce very well. The fish are big. You know, the population is doing well, a lot of 10, 11 inch fish. And then we'll have a few years in a row for whatever reason that they have very successful reproduction. A lot of fish recruit to the population over and over again. And we get stuck with the population that, you know, it, quite frankly, is pretty poor. Yep. And the one thing crappie like to eat are bass. And so they crop off the bass population. And then the crappie don't get big enough to control the bluegills. And so it's mm. just a domino effect. And we end up with a population full, full of stunted fish with a few giant bass swimming around. Yeah. And it's just not something that the anglers are going to take advantage of. And so the crappies do provide us quite a bit of issues. One thing we are learning at first, when we started seeing all these crappies show up, uh, we, you know, we were pretty discouraged, um, just wondering what was going to happen. What we've kind of seen happen in a few of these ponds is about every five years, three to five years, we have a huge die off and the majority of that crappie population dies. Really? Uh, whether it's some sort of disease or parasite or whatever it is, you know, they're all the same size. So it affects them all. And, then the pond kind of starts over a little bit. So it's not near as doom and gloom as we once thought it would be, but it still is a huge problem for us. That and goldfish, we see a lot of goldfish oh, yeah. um, stocked. So few those, pike. Those are- I've picked up a few yeah. pike. I know a few folks have caught a few walleye out of a couple ponds also. Yeah, we've got a couple <laughs> ponds in particular on the northwest side of town that uh, we've seen some nice walleyes in, um, smallmouth bass. And then yellow perch you brought up. So the yellow perch kind of came about as it's a species we see continually show up. Um, we get questions about it, myself and Ben Dodd. He's the district biologist mm-hmm. uh, over the metro out of Boone. We continually get questions about where can you catch perch near the metro. Uh, and it continually shows up as perch ranking high in a lot of our surveys of fish that people want to catch. And, you know, we've got a good relationship with the city of Ankeny. They've got 34 ponds, I believe, in town. And so we thought, you know, why don't we try something a little different and see if we can figure out this this perch thing? Because a lot of people say you can't do it. Hmm. Um, and so we worked with a graduate student at Iowa State, uh, and that was his focus. And so we tested out, gosh, I think you had four or five maybe ponds here around the metro, a couple in Ankeny. And we stocked them with various rates of perch, various amounts of perch, and then a, 
a variable stocking rate of largemouth bass hmm. um, at various stocking sizes. And I'll get in, I can get into that in a minute. So, um, so you're saying this is still, I guess, kind of more in the experimental phase, sort of. It's not a, yeah. okay. It's, uh, it's definitely experimental. Um, cool. so far it, it hasn't worked all that well. Uh-huh. Uh, the bass population really has taken over in most of them. Uh, we hmm. saw huge recruitment and, uh, the perch, the other thing we've learned is, is all those fish, all the perch were tagged. And so we learned a couple things about those perch. Most of the time, uh, the tags had, had rewards. A lot of them did. So that influenced people to call in the tag and report it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we learned a couple things. One is those perch do not provide a whole lot of summer fishing opportunity. Uh, the vast majority of those tags were reported during the winter. Hmm. And so, you know, as a angler recruitment tool, it didn't do us a whole lot of good <clears throat> or it hasn't done us a whole lot of good if they're, they're not a fish you can catch during the open water very easily. So it's not a really good angler recruitment tool wise. The other thing is, is those perch seem to like to move around <clears throat> and we've had numerous perch that we had stocked in some ponds end up in other ponds. Oh, yeah. Storm super system. And so you oh, get okay. kind of really interesting. I didn't know that was, a, I had just assumed people were catching them and throwing them in other ponds is what I assumed. So they can yeah. kind of be connected in some way. Yeah. And so that's why, you know, I struggle with saying that, um, you know, there's illegal stockings in this pond and this pond and this pond of, of crappies, for instance, because there's probably a pretty good chance that, you know, during high water events, some of those fish are transferred yeah. through the sewer system into a different pond. Hmm. Um, and so that's probably more likely than, than somebody, you know, being Johnny Appleseed with fish dumping crappies here and there, it's probably more likely they're actually transferring themselves. Yeah. Um, and so the perch, we're still learning. We did try, we're trying a few other ponds based on some new research out of Nebraska, um, where they stocked yellow perch only and they stocked them multiple times over a, over a multiple year period. So just kind of continued to stockpile that population. Uh, until they were able to get established and then start adding in a predator. So that's, <clears throat> that's kind of the next route we're going to try um, and see if that, that takes off. We did, you know, it was nice to see the perch did reproduce and they were successful, but our bass populations were just a little too high. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I was going to say any of the perch I've ever caught, I don't think, I don't remember ever seeing a tag. No, no. Is it like a dorsal <clears throat> tag? Is that what you're talking? Yeah, so they've yeah. got what's called a floy tag, so it'd be a bright yellow tag yeah. off the the dorsal of the fish. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, the per, the perch program that is something that a lot of people are interested in. But like you said, if it's not great summer fishing opportunities, yeah. that's just better for us. Then yeah, we'll just get out there on the ice to catch them. Yeah, yeah, and we've got there's some thermal concerns uh, for water temperature. Uh, you know what a lot of people don't understand is these urban ponds. Um, fluctuate a lot temperature wise. Uh, you know, if we get a, a good summer rain, that water's coming in pretty hot. You know, it's coming in off the hot concrete, off the hot shingles Mm. and it's making that water really warm. And we're kind of, that kind of puts that, those ponds on the edge of being something the perch would, would thrive in anyway. Uh, but we picked out some specific locations away from major roads, uh, where we maybe weren't getting that type of effect. Interesting. Well, that's cool. That's really cool, Tyler. Um, you know, really when we when we think about what makes a lake, you know, good to fish, a pond really good to fish, 
Um, it's good to have a balance of something that's way out in the boonies, like somebody's farm pond that you, you have to know somebody to go mm-hmm. fish at and something that's right across the street. You know, I, I used to live on the other end of town. We had a pond right down the road. You know, it was just really slick to be able to slip over after work or on the way home and, yep. and go fish at it. Or so, after the kid goes to bed. Absolutely. Now, family man, we got to we gotta sneak in <laughs> fishing whenever we can. Right. <laughs> Between this podcast also. Yeah, exactly. The podcast <laughs> keeping us busy and everything. So, you know how that goes, I'm sure. <laughs> I definitely understand that. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to mention, too, was that that's been kind of interesting with this position is um, learning about people um and what they want and so you know for for avid folks like you and i we may choose the place that's out in the boonies where we know we may not catch a ton of fish but we've we've got a good opportunity to catch maybe some bigger fish Mm -hmm. um and that's not what the typical angler really wants in these areas they want really their goal is to catch a fish uh, or have somebody in their group catch a fish and the amenities like bathrooms and picnic tables and stuff like that, more family-friendly amenities is really what a lot of folks are looking for uh, that is coupled with the opportunity to fish. Yeah. And so that's been also something else to learn that that some of these ponds we don't necessarily need to really hardcore manage. We just need to be able to provide that opportunity for people to stop by after work, you know, blow off some steam from the workday, throw a few casts, catch a few bass, and go home mm-hmm. is really what a lot of these ponds are, are used for. Yeah, and definitely we see that in the winter and the summertime too, just driving by around town, you know, uh, mm-hmm. more so I guess in the summer I noticed it, but now recently within the past few years, the ice fishing's really picked up to where you see a lot more tents out on the ice, you know, on a Sunday afternoon or, or even a weekday night. Um, right. If you see a big blue otter, that's probably me and Brett out trying to <laughs> catch catch a few <laughs> recording an episode, but uh, it's really become a lot more popular too, I think, ice fishing as as a whole. Uh, as a sport within the last few years. So that's good that you guys are keeping up, you know, and looking out for that and trying to fulfill everybody's needs. I mean, you're not going to please everybody, but you know, really we're, like you said, we're kind of hardcore anglers, but on a weeknight we want to get out and just catch some fish. Oh, yeah. You know, we're not out for trophies or, or we're not, you know, taking fish home necessarily either. Uh, we're just mm-hmm. out to have a good time. So I think a lot right. of people share that, that mentality. Pick up some Casey's pizza and, Yep. I've had it for a couple hours. Yep. Yeah, there you go. So so you mentioned, you know, of course we all know the the DNR's program here, the fish local program is is excellent, does a really good job of of getting people out in their local communities to catch fish. Um, but what would be your advice to someone who lives in an area, you know, that maybe doesn't have a good urban fishing program? Um, you know, what could they do to get involved? How how would they go about getting involved, I guess, to make it better? Because you know, our scope here at the Short Rod Show, we talk a lot about Central Iowa topics, but we're talking to people from every, every ice We get a lot of state. folks in the Northeast for some reason. Yep. And it's, it's very interesting to, to hear about kind of their struggles and their topics of, of yep. what interests them. So how, how would they be able to get involved? What could they do to, to work on a program like what you mentioned with Iowa? Yeah, it's, um, I'll start at, at a city level, for instance. You know, if you live in a city that um, that has a pond that, you know, you think would, would make a good fishery, uh, you know, reach out to your, your local biologist or or if your state has a, you know, an urban biologist of some sort. And there's something to be said about having kind of that local champion. That's how a lot of things get started. 
That's how it gets put on a lot of priority lists. You know, that's how it makes the city council agendas is you start to have, you know, that local champion that can promote and, uh, and show that, you know, there's some value in having that resource. <clears throat> you know, a lot of people want to be able to provide all kinds of opportunities recreation wise. And, you know, to me, you know, you can provide softball and baseball and soccer and all that. Uh, but there's a nature side to that too with, with fishing that uh, ranks up there just as high and probably just as passionate for the most part. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, more. Ice fishermen are rad. We're crazy. <laughs> so, you know, having that local champion, uh, being able to reach out and put it on the, you know, put it on your state agency's list, um, you know, try to get, see what the fish population looks like. Um, we've had some people, you know, work up cleanup days and stuff like that uh, around city ponds that, you know, gain some local attention and people realized, oh man, there's a pond out here. Uh, you know, why am I driving clear over here? I didn't mm-hmm. even know this place existed. So some of it's just getting the word out and promote it that, you know, hey, this is this is a public, publicly owned opportunity. Why aren't we utilizing it a little more? Cool. Yeah, that's that's excellent. You know, we like you said, we like I said, we hear from a lot of listeners that are interested in and I'm sure getting some better fishing opportunities and, and yep. that was that was on my mind today, thinking, okay, you know, we have such a great program here in Iowa. How could someone duplicate that in maybe a community or a state that doesn't care as much about And it's that? a little bit interesting as an angler is at least for these community fishing lakes, is I'm not as protective of my fishing spot in these ones. Like if I was out on Big Creek or went to Brushy, I'd I mean I I would just tell you maybe I went to that lake, but that'd be about as close as I'm gonna tell you I was at. We're here. I'm just like, yep, we were fishing, uh, you know, over on 18th Street. Have at it. I mean, it's just a half acre pond. I mean, how many spots could there be? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I just, in my mind, I'm not quite as protective of those uh, spots. Cool. All right. One, what, do you have time for a couple other quick questions, Tyler? I know we've, we're yeah, trying to I'm hold her to a good time limit here, but it's, we're yeah. just spouting off here. <laughs> I got some good ones yeah. for you. Like I said in that email, you're going to have to cut me off. (laughs) We talk fishing all night with you. I I love it. So, um, you know, you see a lot of different, you you said you like, you enjoy working with people. You enjoy, you know, kind of seeing what people want in, in, as part of their fishing experience. But, uh, what's one thing that you'd like our listeners to work towards being better at when it comes to ice fishing? Um, you know, some, some kind of habit, something that'll help ensure that the sport and the fishing habitats are successful. You know, really, Brett and I have had a couple episodes, comments on people's behavior out on the ice, you know, either positive or negative. But um, what's something that that we could all work at to be better, better at to help our fisheries? Yeah, that was a that was a good question. Uh, There's a there's really two things that came to mind. One is continue to take somebody out that hasn't gone out before there. You know, there is a ton of people that are avid fishermen that have never been ice fishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, may, there's a lot of people think it's too expensive. You need way too much equipment, uh, which, you know, you can show them that you, you really don't. I mean, you can do it with a, with yeah. an auger and a bucket if you really want to. And a, and a schoolie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. I knew one of you guys was a schoolie fan. Oh yeah. And, uh, and I, I own three or four of those myself, but you know, there's ways that you can, you can do it on the cheap side, but continue to take new people out and show them, Hey, you know, these opportunities exist 
you know, fishing is one of those things that exists 12 months out of the year. And there aren't too many things that can say that, that you can do out, you know, outside recreationally, outside of, you know, biking and, and running. Mm-hmm. You've got fishing right up in there. You can do that 12 months out of the year. Uh, some of the worst weather has provided some of the best fishing for mm-hmm. me to be honest. Um, and so get out there, take new people out. The other thing is, is, is really a concern to me in some of these ponds is to pick up after yourself. A lot of these ponds are literally in people's backyards. And, you know, I just get really discouraged when I show up and there's pop cans and, you know, trash and, or even fish laying on the ice. Yep. Uh, you know, that's something that people are, are looking out their window and, and looking at. And that's not really going to make them be super positive when it comes to, uh, you know, future people coming into fish. Uh, they're going to get fairly protective of that. And rightfully so, you know, it's in their, it's in their backyard. Um, and they don't want to be looking out at that. And it gives, gives people, a, you know, gives ice fishermen a bad name. Oh, yeah. Fish in general. Yep. And so those are probably the two biggest things is take somebody new out and make sure you're, you're, whatever you take in there, you take out with you. And a lot of these places have trash cans available. If you don't, you know, every Casey store has got a trash can outside. It's easy to get rid of. Uh, just take take the stuff out with you. Uh, as far as the fish go, you know, if you're not going to keep it, throw it back. Uh, there's no reason to, to leave a bunch of fish laying on the ice. Uh, you know, you may, it's a lot of times it's well-intentioned. You know, uh, I bring up crappie. One of the last times I went crappie or went ice fishing, there was a pile of crappies six, seven inches long laying on the ice. And it's well-intentioned because people think, you know, that they're helping that population out by, by thinning it out. But in reality, there's thousands of those yeah, in there. You're not even yeah. making a dent. Yep. Yeah. And putting it back in there didn't do any, you know, any better or worse uh, than, than keeping them out. So uh, if you're not going to keep it, put it back in and, and just pick up after yourself and be respectful of, of not only nature and the, the resource, but also the people that live around there. Yep. Yeah, that's that's excellent. Excellent tips for all of our listeners. You know, we that's really what we preach here too is is packing in, packing out what you packed in and then some. Yep. You know, it's just it's super disappointing getting out to a spot and just seeing it littered full of junk. Especially when you see stuff in the holes cuz I could believe, you know, a few things maybe they blow out there, but you know somebody threw some yep. crap in the hole. And then but. once it's frozen in the ice, you can't get it out. It's going to no. you know, it's going to yep. either thaw and somebody will pick it up hopefully or it's going to the bottom of the the pond. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. One more question for you, Tyler. Uh, All right. What's something that's interesting or unique that you've learned from being a fishing biologist that you'd like to educate others on? I, I'd like to think that you have a much different perspective on things being being a biologist than you know the average Joe ice fisherman. Uh, but I'm interested to see what what that might be. What's something that you've learned throughout your your years of experience? Hmm. Um. Well, thinking of, of, you know, where I'm at now in the, the, you know, working within the city limits and working with cities is probably the, one of the biggest things I've learned is just how connected, uh, everything is. And so, especially from an ecosystem side, um, you know, for instance, there's, you know, if there's a pond down your street that has a bunch of vegetation in it, it's got a bunch of algae, it looks terrible. You know, it doesn't look like it's got good water quality. And, you know, then you go home and fertilize your yard 10 times every time Mm -hmm. after it rains and all that washes into your pond. 
the bond that you're complaining about, you know, a lot of people do not understand that connection that, you know, what you put on your lawn, what you put on your sidewalks, what you do in your own yard has a direct effect on some of these ponds oh, yeah. uh, that, that you may, you know, be complaining about. Um, and so that's probably the biggest connect, biggest thing we're trying to, you know, I'm trying to work with, with folks on is, uh, you know, this pond wouldn't, you know, won't potentially will not look like this. If you, you know, went to a phosphorus free fertilizer on your yard, you picked up your dog waste, uh, you didn't pour a bunch of sand in your driveway every time it snows, <laughs> you know, all that stuff's going to end up right in that pond down yep. the street. Uh, and it's, uh, it's kind of hard to get people to realize that, you know, these are, as we mentioned at the beginning, these, these are our fisheries. That's what we've, you know, luckily been able to make them to be. But what they are are, are stormwater basins, yeah. uh, you know, they're stormwater retention, and they're, they're doing their job. That's their job is to collect that. A lot of cities, especially here around the metro, have grant programs that you can use for stormwater things at your home, rain barrels and rain gardens, stuff like that to help pay for that those things. And those things are going to have an effect on that little pond down the street. Um, and it's a little easier to, to get that information across when you're talking about the pond down the street. You know, if you're talking about Sailorville or, you know, a huge reservoir, it's kind of hard to understand that uh, and get that connection. But when you're talking about that little pond down the street, you know, a few people doing some of those things on the landscape uh, can really have a, I mean, a, a sizable impact uh, pretty quickly. It's actually yeah. pretty impressive. And so that's probably the biggest thing uh, from a connection standpoint, you know, we want to promote good water quality and uh, that's, hmm. that's how we can do it is, is, uh, you know, taking care of our, our lawns around there. The other thing is, and I, I hear this from cities sometimes is, uh, you know, that tall grass that is right around the pond, all around the pond, it's there for a reason. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not to be mowed. Uh, you know, you may think it looks like weeds or it's unsightly. It's actually there for two reasons. One is that tall grass helps slow the water down. It helps prevent shoreline erosion. Uh, it helps keep those nutrients out of the pond. Hopefully they, they fall off and dissipate, uh, you know, in that grass. It provides some wildlife habitat. But what it also does is a goose deterrent. And so mm. a lot of that, are, uh, geese don't like to be in places they can't see over. And that's one way to try to combat some of these big goose, goose problems that we have here in the metro, especially is this tall grass prairie that wraps around each pond uh, is to, to be there to kind of deter them from, from feeling comfortable using that place. Man, there's a hot tip for you right there. Holy cow. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I never knew that. Yeah. yeah. A lot of, you know, <clears throat> I know a lot, I know the cities take a lot of heat for some of that stuff. And, mm -hmm. and you know, there's a, there's definitely a, a method to the madness there. Uh, when you start pairing up really tough, really big rocks, you know, really big riprap on the shoreline and tall grass. Uh, that's there to keep try to keep geese off the pond and, and out of your yard, really. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so there's a reason for it. Hmm. That would be the those would probably be the biggest things, I guess, uh, for public education wise yeah. ponds. Well, I know I know Ben said that was going to be your last question, but I don't want to let you go here yet before we talk about ask, at least ask you about the community trout stocking stuff because uh, I think okay. that's a cool opportunity that. Uh, Definitely not everyone has an opportunity to fish for trout very often. And frankly, the only time I've ever caught a trout is through that program anyways. Um, 
you just comment a little bit about it anyways. <clears throat> yeah, so the community trial program, it's, uh, you know, it predates me by a long ways. Um, mm-hmm. I want to say we're up to 18 ponds around the state. Oh, wow. And uh, let's kind of add our capacity. I get, ooh, I get a lot of phone calls, uh, you know, can we do a trial stocking here? Can we do one here? And we're really, you know, quite honestly, just at capacity. It takes, you know, somewhere in that neighborhood of 15 to 18 months to grow those fish. Oh, yeah. You know, they're all catchable size. So the, the bigger the fish, the more storage they take up at the hatcheries. Uh, and so we're, we're kind of at capacity where we're at. So as far as adding new places in, that's not something I, I foresee anytime soon. Yep. Uh, but locations we do have, uh, yeah, like you said, um, I've, I've made a couple trips to northeast Iowa. But my first trout came out of one of these trout stockings. Um, Caught some last week here in Bondurant. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we've got Bondurant and Johnston. And uh, here in the metro, Ames, Indianola would be the other two here in in central Iowa. Um, We have done a a little bit of rotating in the eastern side of the state uh, just because Lake of the Hills in Davenport is down for renovation hmm. and we've kind of bounced that stocking around a few new locations. Yeah. I saw you but, moved it into Mar Park this year, which I'm from down, yeah. down in that area. So I was kind of pumped to see that. Yeah. We got Mar Park. I think last spring we did, uh, I think it was in Emma Young Pond in Clinton. Hmm. Uh, I remember where it's going to go for, or it's Emma Young Pond in Clinton. And last spring it was in Fairfield. Um, that's in Mar Park right now, outside Ainsworth, Washington area. Uh, I can't remember where it goes next, but we've kind of bounced that around, um, hmm. waiting for Lake of the Hills to come back, and and that may be a strategy we use in the future. I don't know, um, but uh, yeah, the trout. It's it's really I think it's really cool. Uh, you know, it's I get excited about it when it's trout stocking time because that's something that, you know, I I'm not going to normally catch around here. It's something oh, yeah. you. They fight like crazy. I try to go as light a tackle as possible because uh, yeah. I think they just fight so hard. Um, and I just just like catching them. Anything shiny, you know. This this time they've been in the in the water for a couple weeks now, so they're going to be not surfacing as much. So it's yeah. not going to be sight fishing, but uh, you know, using night crawlers and stuff like that on the bottom is. Yeah, you definitely know when you got one on. That's for sure. Yeah, there's no shortage of that. Um, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I, I hope people utilize it and I see a lot of people out, you know, after we stock, it's really interesting because I, I fish Lake Potoka a lot and, uh, here in Bondurant and most of the year it's, you know, it's not too crowded, uh, by any yeah. means, you know, there's some people that fish it, but after those trout get in there, uh, you know, people show up from all over, you know, Jasper County, Story County, uh, you know, Warren County, you name it, it's bringing people into the area, and uh, people are, are willing to travel for it, and it provides a really cool opportunity to, to catch a, a, a fish that, that tastes good, too. Oh, yeah. It also helps. Hmm. Well, cool, yeah. Uh, I think that's about all we had for you, Tyler. Uh, unless you had a few wrap-up comments, I think we're going to uh, call it a day. No, I just appreciate the time and, and go out, catch some fish, use that fish local map. Like I said, we've we've done the work for mm-hmm. you. You don't need to worry, well, is this a homeowner association or you know, who owns this or can I fish here? Uh if it's on that map, you can fish it. You know, yep. we've worked with it, we've worked with the, the owner of it. And um if you see something on there that's incorrect, 
please email me because that's the last thing we want to do yeah. is have have something incorrect on there. But I'll continue to update that map um, as new ponds come on, and I'm starting to get in there updating the ice fish the ice fishing stuff as well as you know I mentioned some of the amenities earlier yeah. is up, putting in there what kind of amenities are available. Um, one last thing because I got a question on it today yep. was there's a pond there's there's some ponds that are public that are not on there um and most of them are new and the mm. reason that is because that fish population is most likely not established yet so i want to make sure you have a good chance to actually catch something before you go out there and so we usually wait till we've stocked it in the spring we'll go back next spring you know kind of verify that the stocking held fish are doing well before we post it on there hmm. and so there may be some of them that you know well i know the city owns this uh you know if it's brand new that's that's what the holdup is we're just yeah. making sure that that fish population's in there yeah making sure yeah there's something to catch there and i was going to comment if you're a little bit more of a tech savvy i do believe you have a gpx file also that you can download or maybe a kmz kml file uh that you can download and just have it directly on your phone also not have to go mm-hmm. to the dnr website to uh, get your locations, but, um, yeah, I think, you, can, you can choose to have that pop up on your, you know, on your Google maps on your phone. It's a selection. Yep. You say, whenever I open Google maps, this, this map comes up as well. And so that's another way you can have it readily available all the time. Sweet. Well, I appreciate you coming on Tyler and, uh, it was good chatting with you. Um, but yeah, thanks for tuning in to the short rod show.